You're listening to Criterion Channel Surfing, a podcast dedicated to the films of the Criterion Collection streaming video service, The Criterion Channel. I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. Will Remmers, frequent contributor to the Criterion Reflections podcast, joins me today to discuss the month's new releases and expiring titles. And I'll check in with Michael Hutchins to talk about the mystery of the disappearing limited engagements. So stay with us as we start surfing the Criterion Channel. If you enjoy Criterion Channel surfing, make sure to check out the Robert Taylor Odyssey, a blog written by Robert Taylor. Robert Taylor takes you along for a journey into his cinematic obsessions, from the Criterion Collection and Film Noir to the films of Akira Kurosawa and the American Film Institute's Top 100. Find out more at therobertaylorodyssey.wordpress.com. Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com. My guest today is Will Rimmers, frequent contributor to the Criterion Reflections podcast and director of the Utopia Opera Company. Will, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a real pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me, Josh. I'm really excited. This is my favorite show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you're up to? I know that after we record today, you're off to rehearsal and you're getting ready to open a production. Is that correct? Always. There's always something going on. And I have upcoming soon um, some productions that I'm prepping, including an ironic production of Carmen, which (laughs) means to say that the company I run would normally not do something quite so well known as Carmen. But with April Fool's slot open, we decided that there's a lot of scope to produce something that is staged for comedic effect. And coming up with various meta jokes, in gags, things that could go wrong, parodic elements, ways to stage a tragedy, singing it beautifully and singing it straightforward, but having it look and appear and dance and visualize itself in a way that will produce laughter. And it's going to be a lot of very goofy things, including a fart machine. So if you've ever (laughs) wanted to see a fart machine get used at an opera, this is the chance. And then, yeah, we've got that. And then a Mozart and Salieri double bill. And we'll pit those two guys against each other and see who lives and who dies. That sounds really delightful. That sounds like a really fun slate that you've got coming up there. Lots to do. Anybody in New York, give me a holler. Come on down. That's great. Well, you know, I know that your voice is familiar to people who have heard Criterion Reflections, who have heard Criterion Now, other shows that were on the 25th frame. But for those of our listeners who maybe haven't heard those other shows, why don't you talk a little bit about your background in film and what got you interested in the Criterion Collection and in really engaging in some of these conversations about film and in entering into this dialogue and in really digging a little deeper into cinema? 
It's Terry Gilliam's fault, I think, huh. because, you know, I was maybe 11 and I became a Monty Python fan through a friend's recommendation. He said to watch Holy Grail, and I decided to look up everything I could find out about these guys and see as many things that they had participated in as possible. And realizing, oh, I had seen Time Bandits, this Terry Gilliam mm. movie, and I had seen it, you know, growing up on VHS, and seeing information about this movie called Brazil, which I sought out, and when I went to Blockbuster, they had that beautiful three-disc set as three separate, you know, blockbuster cases all wrapped together with a rubber band. Yeah, and I said, this, yeah. this seems like an event. And I took that home and watched it, and it's, you know, still my favorite movie ever, probably more for sentimental reasons than anything. But I noticed the label just stuck in my mind somewhere. I didn't really know what it meant. Then the only real great disc of Life of Brian was also a Criterion disc. So when I started, you know, collecting my own films, I was thinking, oh, what movies do I want? And then I noticed I had now purchased two movies, eventually got my own copy of each, mm. seeing this Criterion collection logo. So I eventually looked it up and it must have been 2003 or four that I made my first visit to the Criterion website and mm. they would have been you know somewhere in the 300s maybe early 400s or thereabouts spine wise and I just didn't really know what I was looking at and I was <laughs> astounded and confused and amazed and I think as someone who is generally quite curious and inquisitive I did start to see titles and names of directors I had become familiar with and started renting things from the library and from Blockbuster Mm. renting the Kurosawas and everything and just haphazardly guessing and becoming a member of groups like the criterionforum.org and contributing wherever I could as a young, silly person. And went on to, I think, foster in me an interest in making films and ended up spending most of my high school making amateur film projects whenever I had the opportunity leading me to go to film school in New York City, but I didn't like going to film school. And I think mm. it started taking the fun out of it for me and transferred to get a double major in film theory and music performance. So my degree was no longer in film production, which I don't really mind so much. I think I learned much more thinking about theory and history of film. And still have been making film projects. I shot a feature in 2018 and put it out basically to whoever felt like watching it because I'm not really too interested in making movies unless they cost no money. I'm very inspired by a lot of the independent filmmakers I've been seeing lately who have shot micro-budget projects using phones and things. It's quite inspiring to think that one can still maintain somewhat of a filmmaker's eye or consideration even when they're ostensibly in the music industry. And yeah. whenever I can let these things overlap, it's great. If I can shoot a music video that projects during one of the productions I'm stage directing or music directing, it's always a great way to combine these things. So as time's gone on, eventually I hooked up with all y'all podcast people and deepened that knowledge even further. And I would say that with each passing year, you know, you see more and more things, you become welcoming of more and more things. I like more and more things. I dislike mm. fewer and fewer things. The more I go on and the more I appreciate it. And I don't believe there are any rules. So film is really, I think, the big driving, motivating, joyous passion in my life, even though it's not the thing I spend all my time doing. Yeah. And nothing inspires me more than watching as many films on either Filmstruck in the past or now on the Criterion channel as I possibly can. That's awesome. That's really awesome. That's a great transition here. You're, I'm assuming, a charter member of the Criterion channel? Oh, yes. What are your thoughts on the channel? You've lived with it for a while. What are some of the things that really work for you? What are some of the frustrations that you've found? Maybe to start off with, how do you access the channel? What are the ways that you use it? 
I mostly have been using it as I did Filmstruck by watching it on my laptop and mm. using an HDMI cable to send it to my TV. Mm-hmm. And this I really liked because I could throw anything on the TV that I wanted to and didn't feel like I needed extra devices. I could plug my headphones into the laptop and hear a nice high fidelity sound because whatever I'm watching, I tend to watch movies with headphones and I tend to watch movies by myself because I'm a loner with OCD who can't hear any distractions and wants to be as invested as possible. Yeah. The system has been working great, but I decided to switch it up just this week and try a Roku because I wanted to see how the Roku Ultra with the headphone jack remote worked. Uh, I did not find it to be very successful. I mean, I knew it was a gamble because I know there's a lot of signals going through the air to make a remote control with two tiny AAA batteries be able to send (laughs) any audio signal out. But it just sounds like garbage. So I think I'll probably return it. But I've been enjoying the system. I've already got the Criterion Channel and Mubi and Vimeo and a few other apps on it. And I think I'd actually, I'm now just appreciating the ease of using that remote mm-hmm. over the past few days to navigate the channel. So I've used their Roku app as well, and I actually like it quite a lot. And I didn't get the thing to work when you speak into the remote, but maybe <laughs> I'm old. I don't really understand how any of this stuff works. So I have that option as well. And I guess I have it on my phone, but I don't want to watch a movie on my phone because yeah. we all know that that's sacrilege. But it served me well when I only had like a day to listen to the high noon commentary track. Mm-hmm. So I had it on a plane and enjoyed that very much. So that's my main ways. Roku's probably going to take over once I downgrade to one of the cheaper models, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, what are some of the things that you have really appreciated about the channel now that you've had some time with it, now that you have tried it on a couple of different devices? What are some things that you really like? It respects the material. It really yeah. does. And they've really gone above and beyond, I think, what we expected. I think that's been a running theme in your conversations on the show yeah. so far. We felt like if the channel came back, it would be sort of like the channel half of the Filmstruck bundle and that it would be missing a lot of the content. And there's certainly too much. There's too much to see. But I find that it's very hard to not pin down something to watch. I remember having a Fandor queue back when that was active of about 700 titles. And I would wander through it or think about the Netflix scroll. Endless. There's something that's, if not already on my watch list, there's something that I'm interested in at least, you know, one click away or two clicks away at the most. I will just stumble upon anything that I've been meaning to see. The problem I probably have, and now I'm sort of feeling it because we're coming around to the point where everything that's started to expire over the past few months that we started with on the channel and a lot of the bundles that I remember being excited for have already come and gone and it's hard to fit them all in. And I find that I could just focus on expiring titles and watch no other films from any other source all month long and live a happy life. Yep. And that could even include rewatches of things, which I always try to include whenever those are happening and I don't own the film. I think last month, more than half of the things I watched were channel titles, and I would say 17 of those were expiring titles. So many things were expiring that I needed to see, and of course, we'll get to how complicated it is this month with such a large slate of expiring titles, but it just shows you how much there is still to see, and I feel blessed to live in this time. And the thing I probably appreciate the most about the channel is it's actually made me stop buying so many Criterion discs, Mm. which is Mm -hmm. actually, I think, not a huge problem because I'm still spending that money on other labels. 
Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that now I can just get, you know, both. And there are plenty of films that probably I've seen on the channel that I'm glad I didn't blind buy because usually I would just blind buy things. I didn't even use the library very much. And I think I've become a little bit more cost efficient and mindful mm -hmm. of wasteful expenditure, yeah. especially as my shelving, you know, also becomes a problem. So yeah. there's a lot to be said yeah. there for what it allows me to do to free up the rest of my physical media time. Yeah, yeah. We've seen in the Criterion Channel Club, a lot of people, they're not going to be completionists. They're not going to want to have every Criterion title on their shelf. And they are really excited to get to watch all of the supplements and to have access to all of the films. And yeah, I think it's a really useful way to have access to Criterion's library. And I love that they do that for their viewers. It's truly remarkable. I think that the only downside comes when you realize how few of your discs you actually watch. I mean, there's, yeah. there's one other downside I find is I had been under the assumption as well that the Roku would give me better quality visual than what I had been getting on my computer. I notice a lot of blocky artifacts and mm. bad encoding when it comes to blacks on the screen. Like if it's sort of like a black environment with, say, lights or fire, and you get those halos, and they're quite unseemly and just remind me of YouTube and badly encoded videos. And there's nothing like comparing it and throwing in the Blu-ray if you have it. Yeah. I've done some comparisons back and forth and... It can be quite night and day. So there are some places where I said, as much as I think I probably should watch War and Peace before I blind buy it, I knew that I would rather see it in high definition on a disc that I knew wouldn't be susceptible to any problems. And so I don't know what it is. I'm getting the same issue on the Roku as well. And I haven't heard these complaints from as many other people. It could be my Wi-Fi. It could just be something, you know, that I'm too hypersensitive to. Don't know sometimes. Sometimes I think those are flukes. Yeah. I also think, too, when we consume so much streaming media, we get used to those artifacts, right? I've been watching so many films in the Criterion channel, and I decided after my therapy session with Matt a few months ago and realizing that it's okay to miss some titles and to not maybe catch everything that's expiring— I finally started working through my regular rotation of discs that I have on my shelf, and I put in Paris Belongs to Us. And when I finally threw that in, just the blacks and the contrast... It was just stunning mm. to throw that Blu-ray back in and to be reminded of the quality of a disc as compared to streaming. And I love what we have, and it's good quality streaming compared to what it used to be, but nothing really beats that physical disc. I love the access that we have, and I love getting these films that we normally wouldn't have access to at all. You're right about you know keeping a rotation going, and I think that's another part of my strategy is I never double up on something that I think is in a similar category. So if it comes to expiring titles, and they're very often very clearly bundled, I won't watch two from the same bundle in a row. Mm -hmm. I don't want to mm -hmm. risk the chance of getting them confused or oversaturating myself. Occasionally I've done it. I managed to see all of the Columbia Noir set and all of the Stanwick bundles back yeah. when they were on, and they were so fulfilling. But there are occasionally moments where I think back and I see the name of the film and I can't quite remember what exactly it is. And part of the reason this happened is because I was watching so much on Filmstruck and not writing anything about it. So now I make a point yeah. of at least writing a sentence on Letterboxd about everything I watch on any platform. If I look back, I can kind of remember what it was. I like to vary it up. So I sort of have a system of like expiring titles, no more than two in a row, and <laughs> then mix it up with a disc or something, you know, expiring on movie or whatever yeah. it might be. But generally speaking, I bet more than half my watching will be consistently expiring titles for the foreseeable future. 
anything else on the way that the interface works for you that you like? Or are there some things that you found really frustrating? Oh, yes. I'm curious to know, what are some of the things that you hope that they're continuing to work on as the channel evolves and as they continue their partnership with the Vimeo VHX service? I wonder what what I might be able to contribute that hadn't already been covered, because I think that a lot of the things I've thought about listening to this podcast before, it's yeah. fun to hear people say, yeah, I've always been annoyed about that too. Like, <laughs> of course, the way that collections for a single film feel very redundant, and yes. that you yes. might end up having the same film in your list like nine times because you just keep adding it over and over, not realizing it's part of you know certain bundles or something. And I find it very difficult to remove things from that list. The only way I seem to be able to remove anything is to add it and then remove it again from unrelated pages. So I have actually stopped using that feature almost entirely. I have the list now of, you know, 80, 90 films, but it's clearly trying to aim for a higher level of aesthetic and formatting. But I prefer the simplicity of the big fat film struck list. I just had a big mm-hmm. scrolling dumb list that I could see everything. And yeah. I followed that a little easier. But at this point, like I said, I just kind of wander around and find my way. I did have a complaint this past month when more titles expired than were intended to. Yeah, yeah. When I emailed them about it, they were very nice and said that they figured out the error and that they think they have it fixed for the future. And they very politely, in a way that felt boilerplate, but still, you know, like an honest statement that they're allowed to stake, which is that they'll try to get those titles back. And you know that this is sort of the criterion with their out-of-print titles. You know, like, these are people that, if they can have it, they're going to have it. They're not like making artificial scarcity out of their catalog titles. Think about how many titles are never going to expire from this channel. So I feel like they're not in the business of only having, you know, 50 films at a time. Yeah, yeah. We're actually going to talk with Michael Hutchinson just a little bit about the glitches that do occur and the mysteriously disappearing titles that aren't announced. Because it does happen sometimes, unfortunately. It's not what they intend to have happen, but I've talked to their customer support before and it's an issue that does occur. I think the things that were the saddest for me to lose were the shorts by Jonas Mikas, because I think those are ones that are just not available anywhere. There was a number that were added to the list like the day before. Yeah. Just as I had finished watching Walden. I think a number of them are special features on a Kino disc, hard to stream anywhere. And one of them, the Vietnam newsreel parody, I don't think is on that disc either. So shorts obviously are always going to be the hardest to find, I think, too. I think we sort of agree there. And we get scared. You see that there's somebody's feature is on that list, but not their shorts. Now we know to be wary Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. could just go with it any day. Yeah, yeah. Well, William and I are going to be right back and we're going to be talking about more of Criterion's new and expiring titles for the month of February. But as I said, first I'm going to check in with Michael Hutchins and we're going to talk more about this mystery of the disappearing limited engagements. So stay with us. If you enjoy Criterion channel surfing, make sure to check out the Magic Lantern podcast, hosted by Erica Long and Cole Rulain, exploring the films we love and the things we love about them. The Magic Lantern is a film podcast hosted by Erica Long and Cole Rulain, devoted to sharing their enduring cinematic memories. Join them for an ongoing, informal discussion of the classic and contemporary films they love and the things they love about them. If you've been looking for a podcast to explore old and new favorites with fellow film lovers, you've come to the right place. New episodes every other Monday. Find out more at magiclanternpodcast.com. 
I'm here with Michael Hutchins, one of our regular contributors to Criterion Channel Surfing, as well as a frequent contributor to most of the Facebook groups dedicated to the Criterion Collection. He's joining me today to talk about the limited engagements that seem to disappear without any warning on the Criterion channel. Michael, thanks for joining me and helping me clear up some of this mystery. Yeah, let's do this, Josh. Let's figure it all out. I think this has been one of those strange things that doesn't happen very often, but it did happen this last month. So the Criterion channel typically is really great about letting us know what titles expire each month, but every once in a while, a few titles seem to slip through the cracks. How many times have you noticed this in the past, or how have you noticed this? I had not ever noticed anyone that was actually disappeared without being announced, so that was a shocker. So we just have to, you know, mark this up as just a one-time glitch, possibly, you know. We did hear back from customer support, and they did say it was a human error, and they were looking into it. But yeah, let's give them the benefit and just say that that was just something that was just overlooked and something that we need not worry about anymore. Yeah, I do know that a few months ago, War and Peace disappeared from the channel without notice. Oh, you're right. I forgot about that. Yeah, the Henry Fonda version. Correct. The Hollywood. Yeah, that was one that had baffled us as well, that just kind of vanished without a trace. And I remember reaching out to customer support and they apologized for that as well and said that they would do their best to try to get the rights to it again. But did that ever come back? Did they promise it would come back or even didn't promise? Yeah, they said they would try. But yeah, that one was one that had never quite made it back into the channel yet. I do think they are humans over there, (laughs) so mistakes will be made, right? Yes, true. But this is a pretty Uh, big one. We consider the number of films that left without any announcement. That's the one thing we have to consider, that there are people who base their viewing habits on that list. And I guess maybe a lesson to learn here is that, and I think you and Matthew spoke about this last month, about how sometimes you need to prioritize and not depend on other factors other than you wanting to watch the film. Yeah, Let's put it, yeah. put it that way, yeah. This was a pretty large chunk that vanished. How many titles disappeared this month that we didn't know about? There were 31 films that were not on the original list. Wow. The list was only had 41 films on it. Whenever they posted on the first of the month, that was January 1st. Mm-hmm. I was kind of suspicious because that was kind of a small number of films considering how many were being added. It's almost like they're trying to balance out or stabilize the number of films on the service. So you're getting to the point now, after almost a year, where the number of films leaving and going is staying about the same number. And in January, Mm -hmm. those 41 films was pretty small considering they added like 70-something in that month. So that was something that kind of struck up my radar. In fact, you may recall that back in December, we had someone on the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group who was just wondering, you know, what films can we expect not to be here, you know, to be leaving at the end of January? I first came back and said, well, we really won't know until January the 1st. But I did create a list for the group and let them know which films had been there for six months, which is usually a good sign that those will not be staying after or any longer than that, because it's rare for a limited engagement film to stay longer than six months. It's pretty much averaging now they're going to be three-month or six-month licenses. And so I made a list, and it turns out almost every film on my list that I posted back in December was on that list of films that were not announced. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's almost like 
somebody there at the Criterion Channel just somehow had like their own little spreadsheet of films that were leaving and half of it got chopped off when they were updating that particular page. It seems that maybe in the last two months, there is this little bit of inconsistency in that leaving soon category. We had the short films by Jonas Mikas that were added to the leaving soon page at the last moment. Yes, that's Um, unusual. And short films are kind of hit and miss whether they will be added to the leaving soon page or not, right? And then this month, we're recording this conversation on Monday, February 10th, and I think that they have added and removed a number of titles from the Leaving Soon page. You know, originally there were several of the Jean-Pierre Melville films that were leaving, and then now two of them are staying, one of them until the end of March, one of them indefinitely. The Italian job. I mean, there's a couple of these things that have shifted, right? So what are some of your thoughts on that and that kind of changing expectations for when things are going to stay and leave? I think we need to kind of change our expectations, especially concerning this list, in that we're probably giving it more power than we probably should. And so I think that it gives us a heads up, of course. But then if you stay tuned to some of the announcements I make in the Facebook group, In the future, I may be kind of emphasizing certain films that I think are not on the list, but you got to be careful about because there's a good chance that they were not on there by mistake, that they may be one of these films that disappears, you know. Right now, there's only about maybe a dozen films that have kind of, let's say, overstayed their welcome. Well, no, let's not say that. It's just films that have been there more than six (laughs) months that I suspected were on like a separate kind of license. Or Mm. films that just may be permanent, and I'm just not certain about what kind of license they have, you know. Yeah. When I look at the list of stuff that might be expiring that you've put together at the end of March, I mean, that's a pretty big collection of stuff that we might be losing here. All of the Herschel Gordon Lewis stuff, all of the Shirley Clark films, and it's a pretty big slate. You're right. I mean, these are things that we need to stop maybe thinking about catching in the month that they expire and maybe just start looking at what are the films that you really want to see that are on the channel and start to prioritize that way. I am starting to think that maybe some of my new approach to the channel might need to involve watching films as they are put onto the channel in the month they come out, the films that I'm really interested in. And that way, when they come up for expiration, that's one less film that I have to stress about or worry about. You know? Yes, that's, that's and, a very uh, good approach. Yes. To kind of realize that I may have missed the boat on some of these films that are going to be expiring. Like, there's no way that I'm going to catch up on all the Betty Davis films, right? There are so many of those that are going to be leaving this month. It's too much. Who knows what else is going to be leaving that we may have missed. Like you said, there is a good chunk that potentially, based on human error, that they may have missed this month, right? Yes, correct. But yeah, I can yeah. see now that if you like Herschel Gordon Lewis and, you know, God bless you, but <laughs> if you like him, then I suggest you start watching them because they'll probably be gone by the end of March. And then the Shirley Clark films, you know, there's some great ones in there. So you need to check her out, especially her fiction film, The Connection. I highly recommend that. Such an unusual film for its time, you know, so raw. And of course, her documentary Skyscraper, amazing short work. I think it actually won the Oscar that year for Best Documentary Short. So check that one out. And then a couple of the Errol Morris documentaries will be leaving. So check those out, too. 
What are some strategies that you think people can take to make sure that they don't miss out on those limited engagements that they really, really want to see? I think it's just a matter of looking at what's being loaded, like you said, prioritizing, just looking at the list of films and saying, yes, I need to see these. These may be second tier and then just work it that way. I'm probably going to be going to that strategy pretty soon now because I'm going to be having some vacations time coming up soon and there's no way I can probably keep up with previous goal of seeing all the films. So every once in a while, you just have to let life get in the way of your film viewing and not the other way around. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Well, Michael, thank you so much. This was kind of one of those little mini emergencies that cropped up in our Criterion Channel Club circles, right? And I really appreciate you digging into this research and finding out stuff about what happened, what left here, contacting customer support and finding out what happened. I think that's really useful for our listeners, and I think it's a great benefit to our community. So thank you for doing that work. Oh, you're welcome, Josh. Anytime. And thanks for joining me. I always love our conversations. I'm very eager to continue talking with you as I'm looking at our schedule for the next few episodes coming up. I think we're going to have some great conversations in the future. So thanks. Oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That way, this situation that happened that we're discussing now is just a one-off incident. And, exactly. And, and exactly. now we're going to be talking about the better stuff that's happening on the channel. Exactly. Not these little incidents that, you know, <laughs> just rare. Exactly. Well, Michael, where can people find you? Oh, you can find me on Letterboxd at Michael Hutchins, and then also among several of the Criterion-based Facebook groups, including Criterion Now and the Criterion Channel Club. So looking Great. forward to seeing you there. Great. Well, we'll be right back with more Criterion Channel Surfing as Will Rimmers and I continue our conversation by talking about February's new releases and expiring titles. Stay with us. If you enjoy Criterion Channel Surfing, make sure to check out Good Times, Great Movies, hosted by Doug McCambridge and Jamie Lorello, a podcast about the best, but usually the worst, of 80s cinema. Every other Friday, Doug and Jamie discuss a film from the 80s. Some are films they haven't seen since they were kids and offer a contemporary perspective. Others are films they've never seen before but probably should have. Do they hold up? Are they classics? Or would these films just be better off having been lost to time? Find out more at goodtimesgreatmovies.com. Welcome back to Criterion Channel Surfing. I'm here with Will Rimmers, and we're getting ready to dive into the Criterion Channel's new and expiring titles for the month of February. So as I talked about with Michael just a little bit ago, we've got just a tiny bit of housekeeping before we begin. We did have a lot of titles disappear without warning on January 31st. There was the theatrical release for Betty Blue, A Farewell to Arms, Ulrich Seidel's Paradise Trilogy, Renee Clare's Beauty and the Devil, Robert Bresson's Diary of a Country Priest, Andre Tichine's Wild Reeds and the Witnesses, all of the Athena Rachel Sungara films, nearly all of the directed by Werner Herzog films as well. So that was a pretty huge bundle of films that all left. I think there were 29 in total. 
And it just goes to show that you kind of need to stay a little on top of when things were added. It helps to have access to Michael Hutchins's letterbox list. We have links to that in the show notes. He has some theories as to when things may or may not be expiring, and it's just a good way. If there's things that you are really desperate to see, to really make sure to prioritize some of those. So, Will, let's start to talk a little bit about the February new releases. Before I launch into this list of content that has just been dumped on us, what are your overall thoughts about the month? What strikes you? What are your thoughts as you look at this list? It's a pretty interesting list in terms of, well, in one sense, it's a little disappointing because it feels like there's a lot of titles that are already on the channel anyway that are being announced in bigger bundles. And There is a considerable amount of that, I think, in foreign language section and in the Film Plays Itself bundle, which we'll get to. It feels very repetitious to have the Jean-Luc Godard and Anna Karina bundles side by side when only one film from the latter is exclusive, you know, to Anna Karina that isn't Jean-Luc Godard. It just feels very strange, but... There's a lot here that I've always wanted to see. And I mean, obviously, there's a bent that almost any large conglomerate does in February, where they make a case for black history during the month of February. And it seems like they've managed to license that whole Kino set, which is lovely. I own it already. So it wasn't a big get for me, but I know it had been on Netflix and I think it had left. So that's good that people can see those films, which are really, really interesting and terrific. As well as giving Sidney Poitier an actor spotlight, which I was excited about because I actually hadn't seen any of his films before and was excited to see that it was a large bundle actor themed that was quite this big. I don't think we've seen one this big of an actor that's sort of this current, so to speak. I feel like a lot of these bigger bundles for actors like Stanwyck and Betty Davis are back when. So now with this following on the heels of Burt Lancaster, which even then that even skews a little earlier than this. I think it's very compelling. A good month, I would say. Yeah. Let me run through the list really quick and then let's dig in. So as part of the February bundles, we have that starring Sidney Poitier, which includes Cry the Beloved Country, The Defiant Ones, Raisin in the Sun, and a whole lot more. Like you were saying, William, this is a really big bundle, very similar to the Betty Davis or the Burt Lancaster bundles. We do have a bundle on foreign language Oscar winners, which gathers many of the titles that are already currently on the channel, but it does include the official story. There is a bundle, Film Plays Itself, which has some films like Footlight Parade, Sunset Boulevard, The Bad and the Beautiful, The Big Knife, Two Weeks in Another Town, Contempt, David Holtzman's Diary, Day for Night, Day of the Locust. We're bringing back Hollywood Shuffle, which had been on the channel a while ago and is just coming back. Close Up, The Player, and Adaptation. That Pioneers of African-American Cinema set from Kino is pretty packed. There are a ton of films from the silent era. It's a really incredible set there. We have two films directed by Allison Anders, Border Radio, and Gas Food Lodging. We have a smaller bundle starring Wendy Hiller, which includes many films that are currently on the channel, but also includes A Man for All Seasons, which is new this month. We have directed by Jean-Luc Godard which gathers some of the films that are currently on the channel, but also adds a lot of his early work that are out of print from Criterion, like A Woman is a Woman, Contempt, Pierre Le Fou, Alphaville. It also includes films that have not been in the collection, like A Married Woman, La Chinoise, Le Gassavoir, 
Hail Mary, Forever Mozart, and then some of his later films like Film Socialisme, Goodbye to Language, and The Image Book, his latest film. As you mentioned, the starring Anna Karina bundle has most of the Godard films that she was in and includes a Rivette film, The Nun. We have three starring Montgomery Clift, which also includes films that are currently on the channel and adds A Place in the Sun, which is a new one this month. Films by Maddie Diop, which is one I'm really excited for, has five short films by Maddie Diop, who directed the film Atlantics this last year, which will also be making its premiere on Criterion Disc later this year. We have Lindsay Anderson's Mick Davis trilogy with If, O Lucky Man, and Britannia Hospital. We'll be getting Criterion editions of Some Like It Hot, Vanya on 42nd Street, and The Graduate. Saturday matinees of Lamb, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, Jason and the Argonauts, Playtime and Invention for Destruction. The Meet the Filmmakers bundle for Paul Schrader, which came out last month, has two new films that were added this month, The Comfort of Strangers and Light Sleeper. We've got double features, which include The Grifters and House of Games, Brief Encounter and In the Mood for Love, The Graduate and Bad Timing, Ali Fearies the Soul and The Edge of Heaven. Our short plus features include The Beast and The Naked Prey, Tungris and The Big City, J.M. Mondesir and Rashomon, and Night Journey and Pina. We're getting Daughters of the Dust, which is a film directed by Julie Dash. We're getting the exclusive streaming premiere of Begone's Long Day's Journey into Night. Frownland, which is currently streaming on the channel, but they're doing a special highlight of it, and they're featuring a conversation with the ride director Ronald Brownstein, who is a frequent collaborator of the Safdie brothers. And we're getting Mustang, which was a foreign language Oscar nominee a few years ago, and that includes a making of documentary. And then finally, we're getting a new installment in Art House America, featuring the Jacob Burns Film Center in Pleasantville, New York, which includes a lot of the films that we normally get on the channel, like The Great Dictator and Brief Encounter. But we're also getting a new addition to the channel Tuesday after Christmas. So, you know, it's a good bundle. I do like it when they repackage some of the films that are kind of in their back catalog and try to highlight them a little bit more. It's nice that they are bringing some of those to the fore. I like that we're getting, I think this is now the fourth month in a row, that we're having another exclusive streaming premiere, which shows that they're really working hard to work with some of the independent distributors to get exclusive rights out to stuff, which is pretty impressive that this is continuing to be a pattern for them. Yeah, this is where it all goes down. I think Criterion Channel is, to me, the center. It's the fulcrum yeah. of this entire idea of having these films, which is amazing, of having a curated film streaming experience. And yeah. I think that considering how many various options there are and various organizations have their own versions, this is clearly where it all has an epicenter. Well, William, what are some of the titles that you'd like to recommend to our listeners and that maybe you're really excited to catch or rewatch? What are the things that you think people should check out that are premiering this month? Well, you have to see Footlight Parade. Everybody mm -hmm. who hasn't seen Footlight Parade should see Footlight Parade. And while you're at it, you can double feature it with Gold Diggers of 1933, which is expiring this mm -hmm. month too. So you can get a nice Busby Berkeley double bill. There's not too much else to say about it. I kind of live a synopsis-free lifestyle these days. If I know I want to see the thing, I don't read any more about it. So I'm going to do my best to abide by as much of my spoiler-free life as I can in imparting this. It's a movie <laughs> where people sing and dance, and the singing and dancing in it is very good and fun. So if that isn't a recommendation enough, I don't know what else to tell you. 
That's cool. I haven't seen this one, so that's one that I may have to prioritize. It's got the usual suspects like Ruby Keeler and Dick Powell, but Jimmy Cagney has a particularly fine turn opposite Joan Blondell in this film. Anything else you really want to recommend to people? I know that something for me is that I am filmstruck, really enjoyed Forever Mozart, which I guess is also a pun, so I should say it in French, which is Forever Mozart, which, you know, it's like something about dreams and all that. But this is a film that definitely benefits from a headphone experience. And if you have any French experience as a listener, it'll greatly abet you in watching this film because there's a lot of overlapping and ambiguous dialogue from sources that are not clear on the screen and are not subtitled because there's some other text happening at the same time time. I can imagine this is one of those films, as I do think Godard has refocused, I mean, certainly Film Socialisme is the same, which is a film where so much of it is not really translated. And I think that his focus is so away from catering to an international audience. It's almost kind of amusing that they keep throwing prizes at him. (laughs) But this is a film that really spoke to me when I saw it on Filmstruck. It's probably the first of his films that I had an overwhelmingly positive response to, as I tend to be quite cold on his films. But this is from the 1990s Jean-Luc Godard film, and very rarely do you see those. So I think this is one to catch. Okay. I'd also stand by the pioneers of African-American cinema set, having had that for a while. And like with most Blu-ray sets, working my way very slowly through it, I now feel like I'm behind the eight ball with everybody else now seeing so many of the films on streaming. So I've been making a point now since the announcement to watch more of the Blu-ray set that I hadn't gotten to yet. It's really quite incredible, but I'd recommend specifically the opening three shorts, which are comic shorts, are a bit spotty, but very interesting from a historical standpoint. But the first feature on it, Within Our Gates by Oscar Michaud, is, I think, an unqualified masterpiece, canonizable film that I think people have been sort of reclaiming its spot as a major work. And finally, the Sidney Poitier bundle. As I said, I hadn't seen his films before, so made an excuse again to watch a couple. And I watched Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, which I had on disc mm. anyway, so I just watched the Indicator disc. This has been a consistent thing that every month of announcements, whether it's expiring or new titles, there's always at least two or three of them that I just bought. So it yeah. just tends to yeah. happen like that you just buy enough stuff, enough of it gets announced. So I just happened to buy Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and In the Heat of the Night the day before they announced the bundle. So good spending on my part. That's right. But I watched Guess Who's Coming to Dinner and loved it and watched Brother John from this set in preparation for a Criterion Reflections podcast with David Blakesley and greatly enjoyed that film too. I'd recommend Brother John and would say, again, don't look at any synopses from it because I've been finding a lot of synopses don't just spoil the films, but they give a reading of the film that I think that if you go in as blind as possible to something you know you're going to see, you might not have read into it at all that way and you'll get a very rich and personal experience as I think Mm -hmm. I did with this particular film. I was glad not to know anything about it. Yeah, yeah. Those are great recommendations. I think that Pioneers of African American Cinema Bundle is really rich. There's so much content there. I also have the Blu-ray set sitting here on my shelf. I really love that we're getting this on Criterion Channel. And that Sidney Poitier bundle, I feel like he's one of those actors that I grew up watching. I still remember in the 80s and 90s watching films that I always loved, like Little Nikita and Sneakers. He was one of those actors that I just absolutely loved. And when I would see that he was in a film, I was always eager to watch it. So it's really exciting to get to contextualize his career and see where he started as well. So I'm really excited for this. And I've heard a little bit about Brother John, and I'm very excited to catch that as well. Thanks for those recommendations, Will. 
For me, the ones that I'm really excited to recommend to people, if you haven't had a chance to see it yet, I would highly recommend Vanya on 42nd Street. My background is in theater, and there is something to me that is just so invigorating about watching performers, watching filmmakers try to capture that theatrical experience on film, and the very stripped-down approach of taking Chekhov's play Uncle Vanya and turning it into this really interesting chamber piece. Louis Mal does a really fascinating job with it. I found it really invigorating and really inspiring. I find it really, really mesmerizing. And I think it breathes some new life into a play that, having studied it so much in college, you know, you can end up losing some of the vibrancy and the urgency of a text when you are constantly overanalyzing something. And I think that Louis Mal and Andre Gregory and Wallace Shawn and the entire company just really take this work of classical theater and really make it into something special. So Vanya and 42nd Street is great, and all of the supplements on that disc are fantastic. And I know that many of the supplements are going to be ported over, and so I would highly recommend checking those supplements out as well. Mustang, I think, is really a moving film. It's a Turkish film about the plight of young women living in a highly patriarchal society. And it's gorgeous. It is heartbreaking. It was up for Best Foreign Language Film a few years ago. Cannot recommend that one highly enough. And I am really super excited for that Maddie Diop bundle. Atlantics blew me away. It's one of my favorite films of 2019. And I am thrilled to get a chance to see her early short films because I am really eager to see that evolution in her process. And then Julie Dash's Daughters of the Dust is one that I didn't know much about until a few years ago when the restoration started touring. And this is one that keeps getting talked about as a really pivotal film and a really important film. So it's one that has been on my watch list for a long time, but just have not had a chance to catch yet. So this is one that will definitely be one that I will check out probably this month. I always throw up a poll in our Criterion Channel Club Facebook group just to see what other people are excited to catch for the new releases. And the winner by a long shot is the directed by Jean-Luc Godard bundle. Looks like people are very eager to catch the French provocateur and get a good sampling of his entire oeuvre, if you will. Long Day's Journey Tonight is also one that people are very eager for. And then in third place, we had those recent additions to the Paul Schrader bundle. I don't understand why these won. <laughs> I was a little surprised. You know, I like Godard, and I'm very excited for that one. I liked Long Day's Journey in Tonight. I know that, if I remember right, you are not the biggest fan of Begone and his work. It's just the one movie, but Kylie Blues I had a lot of difficulty with because it felt a little derivative of where Sethicool's work in a way that didn't feel earned. And also, I will say that it's interesting. I watched that film without knowing about a certain element of it that is quite lauded and advertised. And this film, Long Day's Journey Tonight, has a similar element that was the only thing people talked about when it was screening. And again, to me, that is just as bad as reading a synopsis. If you yeah. have this big coup de théâtre in your movie, I want to be surprised by it. And 
I know that's the way to get people to see it. Yeah. And it was a 3D screenings too, right? I didn't yeah. see it in the theaters and truly I would like the chance to see it. Now that it's here, I think I'd actually wait until a 3D opportunity presents itself yes. again. I feel bad, but kick myself for not doing it in the first place. But it remains to be seen whether or not I find that there's any element of gimmickiness about it. But I hold some reservations about this sort of thing. And I wonder if the way it's advertised is at all what the filmmaker is sort of angling for. Like maybe he's hoping they advertise this element of the film, which is quite daring. But at the end of the day, is not so difficult when you think about what's been done in the past. I was watching a film called The Gang's All Here, which was directed by Busby Berkeley. It's his first Technicolor movie. And there's a wonderful musical number in that near the beginning where I was mesmerized because I realized that there hadn't been a cut in about four or five minutes. I think I felt similarly watching the Harvey Girls during Addison Topeka and the Santa Fe. Yeah. There's a shot yeah. in that that's just like minutes long. And of course, like it doesn't announce itself. And I think that is so much more impressive to me than any, you know, Goodfellas BS. So... I would much rather be gone, have Judy Garland, maybe. That'd be my <laughs> preference. The Godard set, though, has some good titles, but most of them were already on the collection. So the new ones that are coming, I guess, I mean, none of them are that hard to come by, except for the more recent ones. But if you haven't gotten around to these yet, then hopefully it's fun for you. Yeah. Yeah, I always find it interesting just to see what people are really excited for. And I think it's very fascinating that the Paul Schrader films that people are really excited for these two additions to the Paul Schrader yeah. bundle. That that's the thing that people are really latching onto. Well, so we must be missing something. So we yeah. need to watch them. I'm excited for them all, right? I'm happy right. that we're going to get them all. I think you'd probably be on this point too, that every month something gets announced that you've been meaning to see. I mean, exactly. for me, like, oh, lucky man, I have been meaning to see. And Daughters of the Dust I've been meaning to see. So yeah. it ends up being really useful to just let it roll into you. Yeah. So yeah, it's all good. Every movie is good. Yeah. So as I like to say, Criterion giveth and Criterion taketh away each month, and we're losing a lot of titles. I'm just going to go through this pretty quickly. We are losing a ton of titles this month. It feels pretty heavy. We're going to be losing the rest of the John Schlesinger bundle with A Kind of Loving, Billy Liar, Darling, and Honky Tonk Freeway. We're going to be losing a couple films from the Jailbreak Bundle with Grand Illusion and Escape from New York. We're going to be losing the rest of the limited engagements from the Laurence Olivier Bundle with Perfect Understanding, Fire Over England, Wuthering Heights, and War Requiem. We're going to be losing the entire Lena Wertmuller Bundle. We're going to be losing the Directed by Christian Petzold Bundle. We're going to be losing just about all of the films from the complete Jean-Pierre Melville bundle. Army of Shadows and Un Flic are going to be remaining on the channel. Michael Hutchins did connect up with customer service over at Criterion Channel, and it looks like Un Flic is going to be remaining through the end of March, and Army of Shadows is going to be remaining for an extended period of time. We're going to be losing the entire Bogart's Beginnings bundle. We're going to be losing most of the entire Betty Davis bundle. It looks like possibly Hell's House and Of Human Bondage might be remaining. But as we found with some of these other bundles, sometimes those titles may not remain. So be careful on that one. The three-starring Michael Caine bundle, we're going to be losing Alfie and Git Carter. The Italian job will be remaining for the foreseeable future, again, according to Criterion Channel customer service. We're going to be losing The Lovers on the Bridge and Cachet from the starring Juliette Binoche bundle. We're going to be losing the Directed by William Wyler bundle. 
We're going to be losing Taxi Driver and American Gigolo from the Meet the Filmmakers Paul Schrader bundle. We're going to be losing Portrait of a Lady from the Jane Campion bundle. We're going to be losing the following Criterion editions, Something Wild, The Black Stallion, The Friends of Eddie Coyle, The Killing, and The Breaking Point. We're going to be losing Oliver, and it looks like Murder on the Orient Express was originally slated to leave, but then was removed from that leaving soon list. So I always like to just encourage people to be cautious about those ones that have left, but then have returned. And then we have a bunch of single titles that are scheduled to leave. 35 Shots of Rum, Sparrows Can't Sing, In the Good Old Summertime, The Woman in the Window, He Ran All the Way, The Miracle of Morgan's Creek, The Shop Around the Corner, Upstream Color, The Gold Diggers of 1933. And then, according to Michael Hutchins' potentially leaving list, don't sleep on these ones, we might be losing The Poet and the Singer, Three Examples of Myself as Queen, The Hypnotist, A Visit from the Incubus, Secret Sunshine, Four Months, Three Weeks, and Two Days, Bad Timing, Last Holiday, Babylon, Never Fear, Che, Aguirre, The Wrath of God, and Le True. All right, that's a list. William, what do people need to catch before they leave? What do you need to catch before they leave? Okay, so everybody has to see everything, but yes, we got to relax yes. because almost the whole Humphrey Bogart bundle is in the Betty Davis bundle. And that is there's true. some Wyler stuff. You know, if you watch one of those films, you'll kill two birds with one stone, which is great. The potentially leaving stuff I'll get to first because if Babylon leaves, it'll be a tragedy. So definitely see that. It's a really terrific film. And the Anna Biller shorts, if those go, I mean, Visit from the Incubus, Three Examples of Myself as Queen. These are, I think they're masterpieces. Anna Biller is my new favorite filmmaker. And it's amazing to think that Three Examples of Myself as Queen is almost 30 years old. And I see it and I say to myself, this person should have gotten all the money to make every movie ever made just from that short alone. So don't sleep on those because if they do happen to expire you will regret it but if they do you can through her own personal channels you can pay for a download of all of her shorts so if you want to sleep on it then you can support the artist directly later which is very nice I would recommend a film from the Betty Davis bundle, which is also in the William Wyler bundle, which is The Little Foxes. It's a very interesting film and benefits from a fantastic screenplay by the author herself and truly amazing performances and wonderful direction. A great pick from that bundle. And then for me, the rest of that bundle, where there's a lot of films I haven't seen at all, that's the one that I thought I'd be able to get to all of, but I don't think will be the case. Yeah. So I'm going to do what I can, probably focus on early stuff, pre-code stuff, and stuff that's harder to come by and work up to the other ones. The Complete Melville is obviously a big hit here. I've seen probably just over half of his films. There's a few of these I haven't seen, but I'm in no rush with a filmmaker with as few films as Melville. The last thing in the world I want is to be complete, I think, because the thought of having no more to see would be quite sad. But I'm going to take a chance on this one and definitely get around to when you read this letter, which isn't available very easily. I remember when I first heard of it, it was screening at Film Forum under its French title, and it was very ratty print and the only way anybody had ever really seen it. So I'm glad to see it's getting into circulation again. So hopefully we see that coming back soon or maybe on a disc somewhere. And some of these other ones are definitely worth seeing. I think there's not a single film he made that I don't think is tremendous in some regard. And they all have things to contribute. And the ones I haven't seen, I'm excited about. So I'll probably get to one or two of those. At this point, there are some of these bundles I haven't even cracked yet. So here's hoping I get to some of that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I will echo that recommendation on those Anna Biller shorts. She was one of my big discoveries last year. I had seen The Love Witch a few years ago and really appreciated it, but it was really through digging into her short films and then into Viva that I really just absolutely fell in love with her work because I think that she is just a phenomenal filmmaker and is doing some incredible work there. The Hypnotist especially just blew me away with how she approached classic Hollywood and speaking back to the canon and existing in dialogue with classic Hollywood. And yeah, I think that those are really great films to check out. Yeah, I do think that When You Read This Letter is probably the one from the Melville Bundle that I'll definitely try to catch because I think it's maybe one of the few of his films that I haven't had a chance to see yet. I would recommend people catch The Shop Around the Corner if they haven't seen it yet. It is one of my favorite Lubitsch films. I think it is just so warm, so delightful and charming. It's classic Lubitsch in all the best ways. I think that it's just one that I cannot recommend highly enough. For those that are looking to catch up on some Criterion editions that they haven't seen, I think The Black Stallion is just masterful. I grew up watching it as a kid and always was pretty resistant to it growing up, but re-watching it when the disc was released, I was blown away by how gorgeous and beautiful this film is and how much it says about recovering from trauma as a child and what it takes to kind of come back from some of these really difficult situations. I'm very eager to check out the Christian Petzold bundle. I really love Transit, which was his latest film. I think it was really beguiling and really just incredible. And I'm excited to look at his earlier films. And I'm curious about the Lena Wertmüller bundle. I haven't seen enough of her films, and I am really eager to begin to dive into her work. So those are ones that I'm looking forward to out of this set. Looking at the poll, that complete Jean-Pierre Melville bundle is at the top of the list. I think that it is no surprise that Melville is number one in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group. Starring Betty Davis is number two for people to catch. And the directed by Lena Vertmuller bundle is number three. So I think that that makes a lot of sense to me that those are the three that people are really eager to catch before they leave. Yeah, good picks. Good job, everybody. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. Well, those are the Criterion Channel's new and expiring titles for the month of February. William, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a really fun conversation about the Criterion Channel and about those new and expiring titles. Thank you very much, Josh. It's been a pleasure. Where can people find you? Best place to find me doing film stuff is on Letterboxd, where you can find me under Will Remmers, W-I-L-L-R-E-M-M-E-R-S. I write about everything I see, and the things I write sometimes are funny, or they're, you know, interesting, or maybe I'm just like a little stoned or something. You never know what you're going to get, and there's a lot of interesting things to check out. And through that, you can feel free to contact me on Facebook or Twitter. Just search my name. I don't mind. Don't be a creep. <laughs> Great. Thanks. You can find Criterion Channel Surfing at CriterionCast.com and our website, CinemaCocktail.com. And you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for Criterion Channel Surfing. If you'd like to continue the conversation, join us in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group or send us a message at CriterionChannelSurfing at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Josh Hornbeck. 
Our logo was designed by Doug McCambridge of the Good Times Great Movies podcast. You can see more of his design work at dpmdesigns.com. Criterion Channel Surfing is now a proud member of Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality, theatrical, and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com and support the work of Criterion Cast at patreon.com slash CriterionCast. Criterion Channel Surfing is listener-supported, so please consider donating to the show at patreon.com slash joshhornbeck. For just $5 a month, you get early access to all regular and bonus episodes of the show. And for $10 a month, you'll have the chance to give my guest and I a film to discuss in a special Patreon-only bonus episode. Thanks again to all of our current Patreon supporters. Once again, your ongoing support really does mean so much. On the next episode of the Criterion Channel Surfing Podcast, Will and I will discuss The Lovers, stories of love and loss from the Criterion Channel's permanent library of streaming-only digital titles. I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. Criterion Cast, a podcast network and website for fans of quality theatrical and home video releases. Find out more at CriterionCast.com.